No, it was just a, a one-page notice hung up somewhere. It might have even been in the grocery store. I really don't remember. Previously, on Everytown. Oh, okay. So it was a piece of paper. It was Yes, and it was at the very, very beginning. At the very beginning of? Concerned Citizens of Hampton Bays. I've been telling the story of the Bel Air Cove Motel and the immigrants who lived there who were being evicted. I think in their minds, they just didn't know what to do with the people. You know, you, you just can't vacate a place of 50, 60 people and say, okay, now, goodbye. I want addresses. I want uh, the amount of kids coming from the school. I don't care if the name is Smith or Rodriguez. It did not matter to me at all. It's not just the Bel Air, either. Other properties similar to the Bel Air are being targeted. There's a campaign to close the places where the workforce of the Hamptons lives. Because what they were saying was basically gather up all of those people, put them on a bus, and see how you like it out on your end of the island. The story of the Bel Air defies easy explanation. But that's every town. Big problems in small towns. Welcome back. I'm Charles Lane. This is Chapter 3, The Second Campaign. The evening is my favorite time here at the Bel Air. The insects, the breeze off the water... Everyone is more relaxed, more open. Hey, how are you? Can I come in? Yeah, yeah, just tell me. I still have so many unanswered questions about why the people are being evicted, who's doing it, and how. But also, and this is big, what's going to happen to the people who live here? People like Carmen. Uh, remember, we're not using last names. Yes. Right. Uh, but can you introduce yourself? Say, my name is, and then... Carmen is undocumented, so I won't be using her last name. My name is Carmen. I'm 37 years old. I have two kids, 12 and 7 years old. And I'm a single mother. And what else? <laughs> How long have you been living? Carmen's apartment is small, but it's nice. She has a fireplace and a fish tank. Pictures of her two sons line wood-paneled walls painted a sea green. A lot of people who talk about the Bel Air talk about how disgusting the place is. Elected officials call it unfit for human habitation or rodent-infested. On the one hand, this simply isn't true. On the other, it dehumanizes the people who live here as if they don't have stories. I came in 2000 just for, for vacation, and I said, oh my God, I like it. Carmen was born in Costa Rica, and for the longest time, she had no intention of leaving home. And I say, okay, I want to try, I want to go. And I came in 2002, and this year, now it's 70 years. <laughs> Yeah. It's actually her family who keeps texting her. Uh, your first job was cleaning houses when you first came? My, yes. And then I working in work in Dunkin' Donuts in here in Hampton Bays. 
Carmen went from cleaning to register to managing the store in the afternoon. She even learned English from her boss. My chief and he called me to the office and told me, sit here. He put me in the computer to read it a little bit and try to speak with him. That's so nice. He taught you English? She would leave the Dunkin' Donuts and drive down the street to the Bel Air, where she knew everyone, relied on them. Like is they're like a family. If I need rice or oil or or something, just I know I can go to to apartments and I can and I just asking. And the other now, residents would watch each other's kids. Diego, Carmen's youngest, is on the floor now playing cards and listening to us talk. He shows me his brother's fish. I had it that big one for one That's the other thing that this country has given Carmen. <laughs> A family. Sometimes my mom say, Hi, you, for, you forgot Costa Rica. I say, no, I born there. But this country, give me, give me all the best I have. Carmen and all of her neighbors, they all work directly or indirectly for the wealthy who summer in the Hamptons. It's easy to find work. But the hard thing now is try to find another place because Hampton Base is full. We know Hampton Base is full. Hampton Bays is the working-class bedroom community to the Hamptons. It's expensive, but Carmen's search for a new place is hard for an entirely different reason. Her children. But I still call and he said, okay, that's fine. You can come. How many people? And I just write, it's me and two kids, one twelve, one seven. I'm working. And say, oh, kids, no, I'm sorry, no kids. Can you? So I don't know what can I do. Every, every place I call, they're saying no kids. I've heard this before, a lot, actually, but only from Latinas. It has to do with the housing market in the Hamptons. There's plenty of mansions, and there are some middle-class apartments in the $2,000 range, But for people like Carmen, who work for the wealthy, the only viable option is unlicensed apartments advertised on Facebook. But you've never talked to these people. Do you know anybody who talks to them? Is it only by... Only by... Only by text. Only by messenger. That is all. I spent months asking about this, and I was never able to find a landlord willing to speak with me. The best answer I got comes from Ricardo Larios, the Southampton town code enforcer. He says because apartments have to be licensed by the town, the cheaper, unlicensed apartments try to stay hidden. Renting to families with children draws attention. Attention from the school. Attention from Mike Dunn and CCHB. Do you know about the concerned citizens of Hampton Bays, that group? I know there is a group they don't like this place, mostly and especially because they're renting for... I start thinking about CCHB sitting outside and counting the children. I thought that Mike Dunn and his group CCHB hit a dead end with town officials. I learned that Mike joined the school board, but I haven't figured out what happened after that. For real, I don't know... I don't know too much about that because, you know, we, when we are like in my position, 
we want to make like a invisible, you know, for any problem or something like that. She's invisible, but she still sees what goes on around her, especially the online comments in the local newspaper where people incorrectly assume that everyone at the Bel Air is undocumented. This is very, you know, racist? Racist? So, this is the supposed to be country of the opportunities. And we feel like uh, every time, you know, it's hard. It's hard. Because it's not easy sometimes when we find persons, they have to, they don't want the, they think all the Spanish people are the same, or they are all bad people. And sometimes just we want to come and try to make a better life there in our countries. And for me now it's hard because I'm single mother, and not have the big account bank and it's hard because I don't know what can I do I just thinking if they say okay you don't have more time what about if the sheriff want to come and close and I don't have the place to go and what happened with my kids and with me so it's hard because everything is coming together In listening to Carmen, something comes into focus for me about landlords possibly being afraid of the school district. Oh no. <laughs> Buenos noches. I remember Eric Yolate, the Bel Air's property manager, mentioning something to me in passing. It has to do with the evictions, but not so much about the actual notices, about the guy who dropped them off. Tienes tiempo? I mean, do you have time? Si, si tengo tiempo. Yes, I have time. I stopped by to ask him about it again. He's sitting at his dinner table while his kids bounce around the room. They all just finished eating. He said, well, you have to leave this place by, by this chance and uh, by this time, and we are giving you a lot of time to leave. And I say, no, this is not enough time. The guy who dropped off the eviction notices, his name is Kevin Springer. And what's so interesting about Kevin is he's also the president of the school board in Hampton Bays. At the same time he's managing the education of Eric's kids, he's also serving them eviction notices. This is more than good because if we want, we can put you tomorrow out of this place. I, I was really, I mean, I rage up against him and I say, what the hell are you talking about? What is this? And the way Kevin is doing it, it really bothers Eric. Kevin's serving evictions with a smile. I don't know what the word is like. Do you know the word gloating? <clears throat> gloating? Um, almost like he's happy that you have to leave? Exactly, that is the right word. Exactly, like, 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 like showing off, like, you have to leave this place, finally you have to leave. That is what I, 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 I uh, got from him. <clears throat> the attitude that he had, you know, like feeling that proud because... Like, they, they finally made it. Like, he finally conquered whatever the, uh, the goal that they wanted. He apparently does the same thing to all of the tenants at the property. He bangs on doors while people are showering. 
This school board president even delivers the notices in front of children. Carmen calls him nasty. I, I was really <clears throat> upset because everything that he was doing, he was with that attitude, he was telling the kids things that he shown. He just had to come and give the papers and that's it without saying anything. He was saying he was coming from the part of the town and this and that. It was all, it was all, all the time. So I start calling Kevin or leaving messages for him. What's odd is that Kevin's name never came up when I started asking about the Bel Air. He never signs any petitions. He never goes to any CCHB meetings. He never speaks out against the Bel Air. As my emails and voicemails pile up, I do a search on Kevin. His company, Dynamic Legal Services, has a Facebook page. His services appear to run the gamut between running court errands to, quote, investigation services. He started a blizzard of other LLCs. The only news clip I find on him is from when he ran for the school board. His main goal, according to the article, is to keep taxes down. All that said, I really don't know much about him, which for school board president is kind of strange. Finally. Kevin speaking. Hey, Kevin, this is Charles Lane, the reporter with WSA. Kevin says he's been busy. That's why he never called me back. Still, I sense reluctance. Well, let me ask you a question. Who are you a reporter with? W-S-H-U? So I start telling him about the story I'm doing. The Bel Air and the town codes and the divide between the east side of the Shinnecock Canal and the Hampton Bays side. As I'm doing this, Kevin says something that grabs my attention. I don't, I, I'm trying to be polite in this, but a lot of people call Hampton Bays the armpit of Southampton. And, yeah. Uh, okay, I don't know if I offend people when, when I say that or not. Um, and I find well, that... Well, we, we have a large Hispanic population now. Um, and they... My brain screeches to a stop here. Hampton Bays is the armpit of Southampton, because Hispanic people live here. I really want to talk to Kevin now, and I push for an in-person meeting. Okay, do you think this afternoon we can meet up? Um, you can try me again. I'm pretty full for the day, but um, I don't know. It depends on what this weather does, so I might have some time in the afternoon. It takes a while to pin Kevin down, but we do finally meet, and in a supreme example of dim-wittedness, I suggest meeting at the Hampton Bays train station. Then it was rentals. Not the best location for an interview, but I make do. Kevin is leaned against a white Ford SUV. He's tallish, work jeans and a gray t-shirt, graying brown beard. He looks a little bit like Hugh Jackman in Wolverine. Outwardly, I don't pick up on the gloating monster that Eric makes him out to be. But before I even have a chance to ask, he says, yeah, he served evictions on the Bel Air. I've, I've, I've helped get them out through some of the local attorneys. I've, I've, I've done some serving of some summonses. Kevin adamantly denies being rude about the evictions. He says there were no arguments at all. In fact, he says he went out of his way to offer advice to the residents. He says he was just doing a favor for the lawyer. I nod my head and jot all of this down in my notebook. 
Then Kevin goes on basically repeating CCHB's argument about unfair taxes in Southampton and the town ignoring Hampton Bays. This is where the this is where the workers come from. This is the blue collar. That's the white collar. He points his head towards the Shinnecock Canal. So, how does that make you feel? Um, look, at, I don't have a problem with these people. I just have a problem with the system. So they have to live somewhere, you know. And it's not. And listen, it's not all just Hispanic people either. You know, it's white people. It's it's everybody. It just it's. You know, Kevin says that he used to talk to CCHB a lot. But he was never a member because he wanted to keep a line of separation between them and the school. Still, he agrees with their campaign about taxes, especially when it comes to the cost of educating students. If you figure at a lean minimum, we figure twenty-three dollars to $24,000 to teach a child. That's basically our basis, which is very, very low. It's one of the lowest around by far. But that's what we have to do because if... Per year. Yeah. But then you have these kids that are ESL and, you know, that which is English as a second language. And then For Kevin, English as a second language raises costs, raises taxes. Not having places like the Bel Air would reduce the number of ESL kids. Having fewer ESL kids would reduce taxes. All of this is running through my head as Kevin talks. The numbers just... They just go through the roof. So that 23000 becomes, it could become fifty. it could become a hundred. Then Kevin mentions something interesting. The school is suing the town over the Bel Air, but he doesn't want to talk about it. Right, because I just can't answer. What is the status of it, though? Do you... it's, it's pending, but, um, you know, they've made little moves like, like this. Is to, you know, to... This lawsuit piques my interest, especially if Mike Dunn had something to do with it. I really want to get Kevin someplace quieter so we could talk. Thank you so much. I no appreciate problem. it. I'll talk to you next week. All right. We plan to schedule something by phone, but he never answers my calls. So I switch gears. Here for the board meeting? Yes. I show up for a school board meeting. Kevin will be here. I can meet the other board members too and maybe figure out why the Bel Air is closing. Maybe learn something about these lawsuits and what happened while Mike was on the school board. I'll tell you later. (laughs) The meeting is in the school cafeteria. Homecoming murals hang on the walls. The board members all come in at the same time from a side door. They sit at a long table at the front of the room. There's five of them, all white. They rise for the Pledge of Allegiance. The parents and the kids in the audience are almost entirely Latino. They're here for the first item on the board's agenda, a student of the month ceremony. The first person called up is a fourth grader named Alejandra. And why she's such an amazing student, and it's been so exciting to watch her grow and, grow and develop over the years, is that when Ms. Tanaglia first had her, she didn't speak any English, not at all. And over the years, she's worked About 60% of the students in this district are Hispanic. Stories like Alejandra's are common. Kevin smiles at all the right times, but it's strange seeing him up there. I keep thinking about him delivering evictions in front of Eric and Carmen's kids. I wonder if he ever delivered evictions to some of the students now getting awards. presentations finish. 
All of the parents and children file out of the room. The board, way up at the front of the cafeteria, plows through the rest of the agenda. In a sea of empty chairs, it's just me, a rep from the teachers' union, and a college student taking notes for school paper. Blessedly short meeting then, huh? After the meeting, I try to chat up some of the other board members. You can't what? Speak with you. About football, baseball? But they all decline. Okay, Kevin, it looks like it's just you and me. Uh, okay, you can try me tomorrow, but like I said, after that, it's going to be He wants me to try his voicemail again. Instead, I stand there, stupidly, trying to squeeze out more information about these lawsuits surrounding the Bel Air. I spoke to the attorney for that just the other day about that. So I know that claim. The other, the town claim is, you know, we can't really discuss that. And, that's know, what our really councils, that's what school council told you as well, that it's pending litigation, so I really can't comment on it further than what's in the notice. The person who just jumped in is Lars Clemenson, the school superintendent. He tells me the same thing that Kevin tells me. They won't talk because of the lawsuits surrounding the Bel Air. The, the atmosphere here is, is very defensive, and I'm a little bit surprised. If it, you're sensing a little hostility, it's because we are being honest with what we can say to you, and you're not taking that in good faith. You're going to try to find other places to get into the system, and we are not commenting on pending litigation. You're, you're, you're describing it as like I'm some sort of invader. No, not at all. Not at all. But when we can't comment, you're, you're putting people in a position who don't have the authority to speak. This goes on for another 10 minutes. Lars and Kevin aren't opening a bit about the lawsuits. Why is it so important to keep the school's involvement in the Bel Air secret? Okay, so now I understand that you can't talk about the notice of claim. Can we talk about these other things? Yes. So call Deirdre Gilligan tomorrow, and we will set up a time to talk. You have my word on that. Okay. Turns out his word has conditions. I emailed the school's press officer like he wanted. She responded that she would take my list of questions and have Kevin respond. I wanted an in-person interview, but they wouldn't agree. So I went knocking on doors, trying to get others to talk. But still, nothing. And if no one's going to talk, then the only way I can get through all of these secrets would be to use the Freedom of Information Law and ask... For public records. Hi there, this is Rima Dael, WSHU station manager, and welcome to my kitchen. Um, this morning, I'm starting my day off with a croissant, heating it up in the microwave quickly, and then also making myself a cup of coffee. But I just want to take a moment to ask for your help and support to keep the stories that you hear on our air, the news and the music you rely on going. So please make a gift now to support all you hear on WSHU on our website at WSHU.org. And I hope you have a great day. I end up submitting some 50 Freedom of Information requests. I gather the school is pretty irritated with me. On one request, the assistant superintendent writes back, quote, 
I have no desire to speak to you. Please follow proper channels and do not contact me again. I show the assistant superintendent the board minutes, indicating him as the proper channel. He sends me the documents. In his defense, though, I did ask for a lot. Emails and phone logs, legal invoices, expense reports, calendars. The school said at one point that I had asked for 20,000 emails. Maybe, I don't know, because they still haven't given me everything yet. The school actually denied a lot of my requests. At one point, I had to get lawyers involved. I sued the school. Finally, they send me some of what I asked for. Altogether, the documents that I receive show the school behind the scenes, in lockstep with CCHB's effort to close down multiple hotels like the Bel Air. The school's part of the campaign starts by drafting legal memos in support of CCHB's main claim that motels like the Bel Air are illegal. The school's argument, identical to CCHB's claim, is that places like the Bel Air aren't designed for living there full-time. They're not meant for families, they're small, there's no full kitchen. The sewer system wasn't designed for things like washing clothes and washing dishes. Courts have ruled against CCHB's interpretation of this law. Still, Lars, the superintendent, and Mike Dunn are meeting more frequently. Lars attends a CCHB fundraiser, then he gives CCHB statistics on the number of children living at each address. Hand delivers them, in fact, twice. At the same time that the school is feeding this information to Mike and CCHB, it's also sending the information to the town. The school is pressing Southampton to send code enforcement officers to the homes of students. This information comes from the emails that the school is still refusing to release to me. I had to get them from somewhere else. The emails state that the school is concerned about possible overcrowding. The school's desired solution is to have the homes, homes of its students, investigated. For Carmen, this has her worried to tears about being homeless. For the school, this is the beginning of a pressure campaign for money. How are you guys today? We're good. We're uh, trying to land the plane on a school year. After I piece together all of the school's involvement with the Bel Air, they finally agree to an interview. At the time, New York is under stay-at-home orders because of the pandemic. I'm in my living room. From the looks of it, Kevin is at his breakfast table and Lars is in a bedroom office. The school's lawyer is also on the call. In a couple of the emails that I've read, uh, you 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 said that this the, the notice of claim was to put pressure on the town. Yeah, to start the conversation, pressure start the conversation, and then the ask to the town of Southampton was um, a pilot or uh, a payment or something that would redistribute the money to the taxpayer. Lars says the pressure campaign, the tighter and tighter integration between the school and CCHB. It's all because of unequal taxes in the Hamptons. Our tax base is two or three bedroom ranch style houses. Um, They generate property taxes that just pale in comparison. What Lars is saying is that his school district has small houses, small tax revenue. 
East of the canal, there are mansions, huge tax revenue. I have neighbors who cut the bowling team when I had to change the mileage marker for kindergarten transportation. When I cut, it's bone. When some of my neighbors cut, it's enriching activities for their children. There's the thrust. That's what gets me upset. That's what gets our board of This is the divide, the Shinnecock Canal. Some kids lose bowling. Other kids lose their ride to school. That is what gets us emotional. That's what gets us upset, that when my kids leave the commencement tent, that they have every opportunity that their neighbors had because their community was able to afford it better than my community was. And then on top of this divide, we have immigration. As the rich hire more and more workers, those workers move into motels like the Bel Air. The line between an unequal tax system and xenophobia, this line becomes indistinguishable. CCHB's concerns get dismissed as racist. This is when Mike gets elected to the school board, and action really starts to heat up. Three things happen in quick succession. There's a big meeting at Town Hall. Lars calls his lawyers to ask again about a possible lawsuit. Then the town sues to shut down the Bel Air. I mentioned this lawsuit back in Chapter 1. This is when the residents begged the judge to stay. The judge agrees. The town can't evict anyone. According to Lars, the school doesn't want to evict anyone either. Um, We're happy to serve them. We love them. We care for them. They are our children. And that is a period at the end of that sentence. And the tax tax levy is disproportionately distributed throughout the town. And that's what we need to address. So the ask... In other words, if the rich want workers, they have to help pay for the education of the workers' children. The Bel Air had about six kids a year going to school, costing about $150,000 a year. It was only paying about $10,000 a year in taxes. We have to have some institutional change so that the children who grow up in this working class plebeian compared to the estate community does not have a, a stunted trajectory compared to their peers. So Lars, Kevin, and Mike. According to the emails, their efforts to explain this to the town become increasingly frenetic, but it doesn't go anywhere. East of the canal, they shrug. So the school goes on a suing spree. First, they sue a motel similar to the Bel Air. The owner of that motel tells me that she felt harassed by the school. She sells instead of fighting them. Then the school sues the Bel Air. Next, the school files the notice of claim against the town of Southampton, the lawsuit that they refused to talk about. In it, the school demands $10 million. Beating the same drum over 10 years, what does that mean? What is it, how do you quantify it? You quantify it by about $10 million in property tax revenue that could be redistributed in the community. They do all of this while professing their devotion to their students, but at the same time, not disclosing what's going on to their parents. While the school is busy suing the places where the students live, 
they don't mention anything during the Board of Education meetings. The only notice I could find was when Mike Dunn called an executive session of the board to discuss a potential legal matter. All of it happens in the shadows. What I'm wondering here is, would the school have started this pressure campaign if the Latino community was on the school board? Um, so what kind of outreach has the school district done to get uh, Latino parents on the school board? Any at all? We don't um, have any firm outreach in English or Spanish to go to somebody as a school district and say, you should run for the board. Um, anecdotally, we have conversations with our partners in both the English-speaking and Spanish-speaking community. So if anybody had asked... I, I mean, In response to a Department of Justice inquiry, the school said that nearly all of its communication about the board was in English. The school only notified voters of an upcoming election in Spanish. At the same time that the school was suing, everything else, the board application, information about being on the board, the board minutes, the board meetings... All of it is in English. And there's no, there's no simultaneous uh, bilingual translation still, right? Uh, we do not have that, no. We have, the, uh, we have the capacity to do it if requested. Uh, uh, okay, so let's just go over this. So you have the capability to simultaneously translate board meetings. And you don't offer it. You just wait for people to come up to you. And then people, I guess, how often, when is the last time somebody came up to you? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Do you think it's important to have the Spanish community represented on the school board at all? I think it's important to have the Spanish speaking community um, represented in every aspect of the school district. So why hasn't it happened? Why? I, I mean, I could give you a dissertation. I could do a doctoral study on a tale of two cities, and, and uh, I don't know why it hasn't happened. I'm only one vote in the community, along with 8,500 other registered voters. So I don't control the will of the community when they vote in a school board election. Okay. Um, do you think the school district would have gone down this, uh, what appears to be a secret legal campaign against these hotels, if, say, 60% of the, of the school board were Latino? I can't speculate on that. And let me just reframe. Um, you, you, have a, you have drawn a conclusion to what this campaign is. And I just need to, you know, emphasize that that is not the intention of the campaign. Um, the, there, is, there has never been a sentiment of the board, white, Hispanic, Latino, or otherwise, uh, who has wanted to rid the community of um, our Hispanic Latino students. Um, when you look at when you look at other pieces of data as well, you know you're we're talking. Like one Lars never does answer my question about why it's only white parents deciding to close down places like the Bel Air, or what Latino parents would have done differently about what is essentially a budget problem. He's the superintendent of the school district, but. He says he's only one vote. In some ways, though, Lars faults the political conversation around immigration. Um, it's going to take a lot of people understanding that it's not a binary, I hate immigration or I love immigration. It's a much more complicated um, 
topic that requires people to think about it and say, okay, well, if there were no immigrants in our community, then what? And that has to be part of the immigration conversation. That's the only wisdom I have, that it's going to take a lot more than just us saying, I like immigration or I don't like immigration. And that's every level of government and, and citizens just the same we can, and residents just the same. But ultimately, he leaves the problem at the doorstep of the town's unequal tax distribution, the divide of the Shinnecock Canal. By the lift. We cut their grass, we build their homes, we, we cater their events. We, we, are a, we are a real engine to the Hamptons economy. Take those workers out and we will see significant holes in the economy, far reaching beyond the four walls of Hampton Bays. I didn't feel like we were being given the truth or the whole picture. I, I think we were being given a done deal and, and they were trying to sell it to us as a good idea. As far as I'm aware, no, none of the tenants there called this office. Jackie, did any tenants at Bel Air ever call this office? No. no. I, said, I said to myself, I said, look, he has four kids. What am I going to do? Kids stuck with his wife and four kids if he goes to jail. So I didn't do anything about that. That's the next episode of Every Town. This story was written and produced by Max Wasserman and edited by Ann Lopez. It was reported by myself, Charles Lane. Special thanks to the Yale Law Clinic and also our fact checker, Gabby Pardo, who did a lot of reading for this chapter. For more information, visit our webpage, everytownpodcast.org. There you can sign up for our email list and get the latest developments with the Bel Air. <laughs>